the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Callum McGuinness and Paul Candy from Asa Abloy. Now, significant opportunities for efficiencies are out there for manufacturers and suppliers in the construction industry through the adoption of digital processes. Today, we'll discuss... As our boys journey so far. But before I talk to Callum and Paul, I need to talk to you about our exclusive podcast sponsor, NBS. NBS through their key product, NBS Chorus, integrates seamlessly with your building information model in Archicad, Revit, and also now Vectorworks. This increases the productivity of practices that are using BIM authoring software and reduces conflicts of information between your deliverables of your specification and documentation. Now, to learn more about NBS, head over to their website, www.thenbs.com.au. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Paul and Callum. Thanks, you're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Now, Callum, for those that are not aware of who you are and and for people that have been in industry here in Queensland specifically, we'd know you pretty well through our Sabloy, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners from across the globe? Yes, thanks, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be invited. Over the past four years, I've had the responsibility of developing the specification opportunities for ASA Abloy Entrance Systems in the Pacific region. I'm a member of the ASA Abloy Entrance Systems Specification Council, and I manage the sales team in the region. I am very excited to work with my ASA Abloy colleagues in the implementation and rollout of the opening studio platform across the business. So what did you do before ASA Abloy, Callum? So prior to us, Abloy, I was basically involved in the uh, aluminium industry with curtain wall shop front design uh, for 28 years. So my background is um, in, in the building facade area. So you do come from a, comp- a complex, essentially, enclosure device to a complex devices in, in terms of how buildings essentially can operate in the hardware sector. That's correct, Nathan. It's complementary. Uh, from the from where I came from to where I am now, and um, there's a, there's a lot of um, networks and people in the industry that um, I continue to work with and have done for many years. Now, Paul, you've had an interesting journey as well, and there was a period of time, and you know, it's kind of similar to some of the famous actors around the world, or should I say, New Zealand actors. We try to claim you as our own. There was a period of time where you did take up residence in the US and and a person from Asa Abloy from the US actually took up register, uh, residency here in Australia. But for the people that aren't aware of your history uh, from Asa Abloy and possibly prior to that in terms of, you know, your career where you've, where you've come from, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well? Yes, yeah, sure, Nathan, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. Uh, I'm the Vice President for Commercial Excellence for the Opening Solutions Pacific and Northeast Asia Division of Australia. And in that role, I basically cover anything to do with our customer experience. So branding, communication, websites, specification, BIM, business strategy. Um, I've been 
in, involved in the specification and architectural side of our, our business since I joined us in 2009. And in that time held a number of different roles uh, in New Zealand and Australia. Um, and as you alluded to earlier, uh, I spent five years very recently uh, up until May this year living in the US uh, where I was uh, heading up the, the global BIM and opening studio team for, for us, Rob Now, Callum, we well and truly know who Ass Abloy is because you guys deal deal with it every day and I've specified Ass Abloy products from throughout my whole career. For the listeners that don't know who Ass Abloy are and aren't aware of what Ass Abloy produce as a company, can you just give an insight into who Ass Abloy is and the brands, products that you manufacture and sell across the globe? Thank you, Nathan. Being a global business with a focus on both digital and physical doors, uh, ASA Abloy uh, can provide solutions across many sectors and do so throughout a number of divisions within the ASA Abloy group. As Paul mentioned earlier, um, he's heading up the uh, ASA Abloy opening solutions business and I'm involved with the ASA Abloy entrance systems business. Um, there, there are several other groups within the company, but essentially uh, our two businesses um, provide um, products to the door industry and some of the brands that you may be familiar with um, through the opening solutions business would be Lockwood and Yale and Asser Abloy itself. Uh, the brands that um, come through the entrance systems business are brands such as uh, BSAM, Record, Ditec, uh, Mirage, and they're, they're names that should be familiar to everybody in Australia and the Pacific. The other parts of the business that we have focused on just recently are door systems, and so some some familiar names that you um, may be aware of, uh, such as Spence Doors, Pyro Panel, Pacific Doors, and New Zealand Fire Doors, manufacture and supply doors. Many of these products have momentum towards digitalization, and some of the products and brands that uh, work particularly um, focused in this area are Placard, Biosite, Tracker, and Global Technologies. So there's a lot of companies within the in the group but essentially all of the companies are focused on the door solution yeah it's about how you get in and out of buildings so you're making life easy for people as they and, and you touch people's lives every day but paul you've had a long involvement with us abloys digital implement, implementation i remember meeting you at a built conference a number of years ago and you were sharing uh at the time opening studio which callum's involved with as well but are you able to share with the listeners a bit about Asabloy's digital journey? Absolutely. I mean, I think we, we have probably many digital journeys in Asabloy. Um, as Callum alluded to, we have a lot of brands uh, in our business, and I, I think that that's um, see gives us a lot of strength when when you look at our product portfolio. But it also introduces some complexities for us in, in terms of digital implementation, simply from the fact we have a lot of brands and we have a lot of companies. So what we set out to do was, was try to have a, um, a platform for specification that could cover all of our brands um, across our entire business so that people weren't having to deal with a specific company or a specific brand to get product specified. And when, when we started 
I, I guess we started hearing about BIM and people having BIM requirements more than 10 years ago now. Uh, that that was when we thought, well, th this is huge. If if we're to, to try to have a solution for everyone um, that covers everything, then th this will be a never-ending journey. So uh, th that was when we started looking at other ways that we could um, we could tackle BIM. And, and that was when we found a, a product um, in a company, in fact, uh, based in Phoenix, Arizona, that had built a solution that, that could integrate uh, with Revit at, in, at that time. And we, we felt it was a good fit for us, Rubboy. So when, when we started uh, looking for solutions for um, BIM implementation within us, Rubboy, we, we discovered a, a company in, in Phoenix, Arizona that, that had started to build uh, a solution around around openings um, and in, in those days um, solely for Revit. And we thought that was a good fit for us. Um, we, so we, we spent some time working with them to, to turn it into a really a specification solution first and foremost. Uh, and, and from there it's really evolved. And we, we, our first Revit plugin was for Revit 2011. Uh, so we're now more than 10 years of integration with, with Revit. Uh, and and subsequently, I think we've now built three. Uh, we're building our third uh, add-in for for Archicad. So uh, it's, it's been quite some time already that we that we've we've been on this uh, digital journey. But uh, a very very exciting place to to be part of, um, and and we we will continue to evolve as as customers uh, customers use the platform and. And we, we hear about their needs. Now, from a manufacturer standpoint, there's two kind of benefits that you want to try and achieve, or you know, there's two kind of sides to a story. First of all, there's optimization of process internally for you as an organization. But secondly, there's an opportunity there for your uh, customers to benefit. So one of the conversations I've had with manufacturers in the past was around the fact that if we take out of the equation that your product might be slightly better and the pro and the products are actually equal yours and your competitors, if you make it more accessible and easier with technology, then you'll find that you'll get specified more. And now what are the kind of benefits that you have found in introducing or implementing opening studio across a vast, you know, <clears throat> some people would underestimate how, how near impossible it is to, an organization as big as Asablo is to actually implement something across all of the all of the the, the, the subsidiaries. Uh, have you actually achieved benefits or has it been like headbutting? Because I can imagine it trying to implement something in a government agency is bad enough. Yeah, I mean honestly I think to answer your question is both. We we've we've definitely had headbutting. You won't get that in an organization uh, our size. Um you will. You will get it. <laughs> You won't not get that in an organization our size. <laughs> Having said that, it's also been a catalyst to bring the organization together because Opening Studio is, is an us rubbly platform. It's not just for one part of our business. So it's actually encouraged more collaboration um, across our total business. And I, I think that we perhaps didn't expect to see um, when, when we started out. I'd say where we also see see benefit is just 
in the pe people like interacting with digital tools and if you if you can make it fun and you can you can make it something that people want to use in it and it makes them more efficient then you you will derive benefit from that um, as it is so so from a, a customer point of view and the the challenge has always been having information and formats that we can both exchange and understand and really what opening studio has done for us there is has has standardized that as much as as much as it's possible to standardize anything in this industry, um, that we now have a sort of a common way in which we can exchange information. And ultimately what it's helped us to do is make information more accessible. So I think this is web websites brought a level of availability of data, but it didn't necessarily make it any clearer or easier to understand. So having a tool like opening studio where you can really hone in on the detail of, of the solution that's being provided uh, ha has been a big benefit for us in that space. Now, Paul, that's obviously the benefits. Now, one of the fun things that we always find with regards to implementation of, of anything new is the, the challenges with the change management process. And we're all aware of the challenges that we face with, you know, individually it's normally people that are the hardest thing to move. But apart from people, because we all know that's the first answer everyone's always going to say, are there any specific key lessons that you would have learned on your journey so far that that other manufacturers that would be could be listening to this podcast today might go, oh, thanks for, thanks for that little bit of insight. What some little takeaways that you'd say if you're going to start this journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first one I would say is um, is don't assume anything. Don't assume that people do things in a particular way. And if one person does it, don't assume that someone else does it. Uh, I, I think that we learned the hard way fairly quickly. Um, with, with And so perhaps we started off by tailoring a little too much. And then that meant that that solution we tailored for one customer didn't work for another one. And on the back of that, though, I would say that you need to have flexibility in the way that your solution works because it will be different for different people. Different people want to get different things from it. So as much as it's great to have standard ways of working, you also need to be flexible uh, in, in what the solution can provide. Yep. No, I 100% agree with you on that because I know that I work totally differently to a lot of other people and and I don't know why, but I, I, I just I don't know. But it, I, but that's a perfect line in terms of don't don't go too far down a path uh, down one journey. I think that's actually a really good approach. It's got to be generalised, but then you have to have some sort of finite process that that ties it all together. Now, Callum, you're the man on the ground working directly with architects, you know, and 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 people specifying products and having contractors install them all or your team installing uh, components as well. What has been your experience, you know, over the last, well, four years in, in Asa Abloy, but then, you know, you've had a long career in, in the construction industry as well. What have you seen? Have you seen much change in what people are asking from you from the manufacturing side of the fence in terms of what they're actually wanting from you? And and how much has it changed? Well, firstly, Nathan, the, the planet loves BIM and digitalization. You know, gone are the days of plowing through forests of plans to find a door schedule. 
and then back again through the next forest to find the elevations and floor plans and hope that they match up. So, you know, spending countless hours going through reams of paper, um, trudging along to architects' offices with manuals and books and, 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 and all of this weight of paper um, is, gone, is going. And, um, you know, um, obviously from a sustainability point, that's fantastic. But from a, a work efficiency point, it's even better. Um, and, and, and it allows us to interact um, for longer with more focus on the actual outcomes and, and, the, and the design solutions and the design intent and the requirements um, of, the, of, of the, uh, the client, the architect, designers. Um, and it allows us to uh, just to work a little bit more focused on, on that part of the business rather than having, you know, hour upon hour just going through it all. Um, the, the desire to uh, enable the information management from the outset through to uh, maintaining, you know, consistency throughout the project is now very much more um, a front of mind thought with people. And there's an under, a better understanding that if you do the work early and prepare properly and keep things, if you have a tool that allows you to manage from woe to go uh, and keep things in line and, and in order, um, then the outcomes are, are, are quite um, sensational in a lot of areas. And when I say from woe to go, um, in our business, we look after the uh, ongoing life cycle and maintenance of the product. And so right from the concept um, to, to the inception, to the, to the design, to the manufacture, to the installation, and then to the ongoing maintenance life cycle of the product um, is, is enabled um, and enhanced by using a, a, a BIM platform. With this platform opening studio, so this is a, a broad brush tool for all of your products that range from locks to hardware to actual full automated doors that come through from Bessem and the like. Uh, how is Opening Studio actually assisting architects and also at the, from your perspective as Abloy during the specification and documentation of the project? And I guess the reason why I'm focusing on that at the start is because we've got to get that part of the journey right first before we can even think of tackling uh, the operation phase. So by using Opening Studio there's a lot of assessment that can be done in terms of um, building compliance and understanding that the uh, correct product um, is in the correct place. Uh, it's, it's very easy to um, put in and put out uh, different components in the door set uh, to, to enable change uh, and, and to compare the outcomes of any change. The benefit to work in a digital platform rather than a, um, a, a verbal or, or, or a, um, a paper type of um, situation where, where you're looking at a, a, a 2D and not understanding exactly how that would interpret into a, a 3D situation. And I suppose, you know, there's advantages if you need to go to a model that it will show clash detection and things like this. You can actually understand the detail of the product uh, down to its uh, geometry and, and, and put things in place that actually suit not only from an aesthetic point, but from the geometry 
and 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 through to the um, the relevant standards that apply to uh, that particular product in that scenario or in that situation. Now, Callum, I'm going to throw the spanner in the works and be the recalcitrant for once. And there's a component of me that I I am very much a person that believes in change, a person that adapts to change, but. I've been working using BIM as a process to produce my documentation for, say, 18 years currently. So the door schedule itself would produce itself based upon what was in the model. Now I have a very good contact in uh, Asabloy called Mr Greg Reish who has written every single uh, door hardware schedule for me ever, forever. And the only recalcitrant kind of component of me is is that trusting a junior architect or an architect in opening studio to be able to identify the correct, you know, door hardware versus an expert like Greg who's done it for 40, 50 years. He's an absolute legend when it comes to the technical side. Is there the chance, and, and it's not anything against your tool specifically, it's something that I think is just like a big question mark on everything in industry. Is there a chance that if too junior a person is given that job to plug in that hardware, they could get it wrong? So <laughs> Greg, Greg is a stalwart. No, uh, but, but, th- but that's the thing. I, there, there's a component of me that will always trust 40 years of knowledge. I, I learnt under... Unfortunately, the gentleman that's passed away, Mr. Frank Moss, he was a person who worked until his mid-80s and I learned so much about how architecture works and how buildings go together and how to build a building properly from him. So there's that part of me that always respects that really strong intellectual knowledge <laughs> and it's not a critique of the API but it's it's more of a, a question mark about, you know, Technology can assist to 80%, 90% of the way, but is there that, that 10% where Asabloy has the experts still yep. that you call upon to then plug that information or provide that assistance that ensures you get a good product? Ensures a dangerous yep. word for a PI. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, to- totally agree with your point, Nathan. I mean, the, the idea behind Opening Studio is not to replace the knowledge that people have, but to actually help facilitate uh, getting that knowledge in, into the project. So really what, what we're trying to do is Im- improve the, the level of documentation, the level of communication, but there's still a person that's behind that making decisions about which products get specified for an opening. Um, because in the end, no matter how much computer programming uh, you, you do and how much uh, AI you build into things, uh, there's, there's still, uh, when it comes to hardware and compliance and, and, and potentially life, life and death scenarios, um, human decisions are still key in this uh, process. Yeah, well, it's not specific to hardware or door hardwares or doors. It's, it's about everything in the specification Absolutely. process. The, the scary thing is, is that the second it's in a computer, people automatically think it's right. Um, and I know that Greg actually uses Opening Studio in the background to actually generate the schedule anyway. So he's yeah. just doing it in a different format. He's taking all the projects he's worked with with me over the years and if it's on the same site, he'll use that the old one as a basis to build it up. But it's just an interesting kind of point, I guess, for me to understand. It's a great foundation point, but you still need smart to operate it in terms of the knowledge of what the building needs to get made of. 
it doesn't take away that expertise. And which is the whole thing where people say, oh, you know, architects will be redundant in the future or quantity surveyors will be redundant. You still need smarts to operate these things to make it to make it work and, and get a successful project. Exactly right. I mean, technology is great for improving people's ability to make good decisions. Right. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do here is is get the best outcome possible. It's and by using technology to to do the simple things, the straightforward, repeatable things, then then we can leave the the human resources to to uh, make the um, the decisions that that need some more discernment, for want of a better description. Now, but it also by having a platform as a database that ties back to a model, it means it tracks changes. So you can, if, it, if a door's deleted or added and hasn't been given the appropriate hardware, it identifies and people can then realise they need to attach it. And we all know how much that happens throughout a project. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Callum's experienced to having people, you know, dealing with, oh, there's, there's this door on site but there's no hardware. <laughs> and I'm assuming that would have been the problem in the past. Now, we, you, you, you talked about it before uh, briefly, Paul, the platforms that Opening Studio is actually available mm-hmm. on. So first of all, it started as a, a, a system or a database that worked directly with Revit. Uh, now you've got one that works with ArchiCAD. Are there any other platforms that it works with at the moment? Yeah, so uh, interesting uh, discussion around um, platforms and integrations that we've done with Opening Studio. So. Definitely Revit. Uh, we and we support the the current version and the three prior, like like uh, just like Autodesk does. With ArchiCAD, we've we've been progressively building uh, new add-ins for the last few years. So we're currently working on on twenty version twenty five. We also have done some, I'd say, perhaps a lower level integration work with PlanGrid and with Procore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think though in that sort of contractor owner space, we'll continue to see more more integrations come in, in, in the coming time because people want at least data available in, in uh, the applications that are most relevant to them. Yeah, well, it makes it hard, doesn't it? Because then if you're being a global organisation with so many different brands, your customer base in terms of the specifier side of it, not customer in terms of asset owner, the customer side has so many different tools that they use to generate information that it would be very challenging as an organisation to try and keep on top of that and try and essentially make, you know, dozens of plugins essentially. Exactly. We have we have to go where the, uh, you know, where it makes commercial sense for us um, but also I, I guess try to be as flexible as possible at least when it comes to sort of data output formats so that we can we can try to uh, satisfy as many requirements as possible. I'll throw one out there for you. Have you guys considered IFC as a <laughs> as a as a as a as a method because then that that removes the actual native formats altogether. That's just a nice spanner to throw at you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's absolutely a fair question, and the answer is yes. We've we've looked at IFC several times. Um, the the reason. Well, well, there's several reasons um, that that we haven't gone down the the IFC road at this stage, anyway. In terms of extracting information from a native application like ArchiCAD or Revit, we we get a really high level of of data that that we can 
we can model ourselves in Open Studio using our, our modeling engine. And to do that in IF, from an IFC file is, is actually a lot more complicated because Autodesk and, and Graphisoft both have APIs for their applications. Uh, it, it's been the best road for us to, to get uh, meaningful transactions that, that, that really can, can help us uh, deliver in the specification process. Oh, it's just some food for thought for me. It's just something that I thought about, and I'm thinking hmm, we should try and find a solution for you with the, with the with the people because the whole thing is is that at that native software, for example, is only used for at that one stage. Yeah. You know, and we might you might find that uh, the asset owner then wants to do the next stage, and that's done in a different software that might not be covered by your tools. So that's an interesting point for me to think about how to solve that problem for you because yeah. it's, it's not just for yourself. It's for, we've got to think of a solution that works for all manufacturers across the, the world and, and the, the different pieces of the puzzle, they all have different challenges. Door hardware I've always looked at is how do you actually compl- compile all that data into into one one thing? And it, and it always takes me back to this concept of the GUID concept that a, a BIM has, a globally unique ID for an element within a model and I think to myself, well, why can't each specification of something have a, a similar ID or a barcode for a whole system that then that code is provided to each element that's put into the model, each product that's put into the model and then a, data, a global database that's managed by it has to be a government agency because it couldn't be a manufacturer because a manufacturer could go broke tomorrow or the website could die or whatever. And then you plug into that and you, you can pull all that information up. Now, that's kind of jumping to the kind of futurist kind of approach of things. And, you know, the problem also for you guys being a global company is every com- every country will disagree on the way to do it. <laughs> so there won't be one answer. There'll be too many hoops to jump through. Callum, I want to go back to you and, and I know that that your products are going into quite a large project here in Brisbane in Australia in Queen's Wharf. Now, Queen's Wharf, for people that aren't aware or have seen it, is a $3 billion casino development project which takes up a very large chunk of the Brisbane CBD on the um, on the northern side of the river. And it has very stringent BIM deliverable requirements. Now, that's only one project. But, Callum, have you seen any clients being very descriptive yet as to how they want their information delivered at the end of the construction for operations phase? Um, have you seen any detailed requests actually come through where you have to do things slightly unique for that client? Not to the extent of Queen's Wharf having a 99-year life cycle uh, to come through with that, but we certainly do see um, FMs and government projects such as hospitals uh, around Australia coming through with a request for maintenance contracts. And then the best option for us to deliver the maintenance contracts uh, is to manage the life cycle of the asset. And so if we have the the project in, a, in the BIM platform, it's quite easy to transfer the asset register or the assets into uh, a format that we can then pass on to um, to manage the uh, the life cycle of the products and the maintenance, the ongoing maintenance. So automatic doors in Australia under AS5007 have a requirement to be serviced uh, three times a year. So in order to manage that uh, and, and the life cycle and, and, and the, the, 
and then move forward with capex and and spend on door and etc cetera, etc cetera. in particularly in places like hospitals where, where doors are they earn their money the doors in hospitals they work very hard uh, it, it's important to have asset registers that align up with what was actually installed into the building yeah so so we have found some government bodies starting to ask some questions in relation to that we haven't had any specific bim requests just yet but there are discussions ongoing with some major projects uh, around australia there's two sides obviously there's the hardware side which is an area where you don't maintain and it's just a the hardware gets supplied to the contractor the contractor installs it and let's just talk really simple door hinges so they're an asset that gets handed over to the client. That's not a, an asset that typically Asabloy will maintain. Then you have your automatic doors sector. So the specific area that you're talking about is that where an architect will specify an automatic door, then the builder installs the automatic door or your team will install the automatic door and then throughout the life of the built asset, you then will maintain, you'll, you'll try and win a maintenance contract or is there a point where someone else may, might maintain your doors? Is, there, is that sort of comp- competition that's actually out there? Yes, it is, Nathan. Yep. Yeah, that can occur okay. uh, and does occur. So the advantages of having, say, opening studio in place where you're specified at the start means that your specification can be tied to everything through the design and construction phase and then when it comes to operations as a manufacturer that offers a a servicing agreement for what's been installed, you'd essentially have a competitive advantage as a manufacturer having a well-integrated system in place at the start so then you can actually pull that data straight away without having to manually create it. That's right. And and, and by working with our... um other companies within our group. For instance, we have a service contract on a, a major hospital um, that has a life cycle and asset replacement program in place, uh, un, un, sort of managed through their capex. And just recently, we've um, had discussions and we've actually moved to not only replacing the automatic door operators, but we've replaced the full doors, uh, including the, the door leaf uh, and the hardware associated, so that the, the complete opening has been refurbished in the life cycle plan of that particular facility. So every every component on that uh, opening was, was ASSER Abloy. And um, it, was an, it, it is a hospital that was um, supplied in, in the original um, construction through opening solutions and entrance systems. And, and now we're putting the door leaf in there and, and, and Lorient seals, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole package is managed by us. So moving forward, it, it would be common sense to try and get to the point where we're having those door systems in those locations managed through a, a BIM platform. No, it all makes sense now. We've kind of started talking about the future, but I guess I'm keen to hear both of your views because you both bring, I guess, a similar but slightly different perspective on this. I'm, I'm hoping or I'm assuming, unless you guys talk to each other too much and you know and you both assimilated too much. But I'll start with you, Paul. Where do you see manufacturers in the future and digital workflows and how that's going to be adopted, you know, and implemented? I guess that's a you know we could have a whole hour discussion alone about the future for manufacturers. 
and I know that we do after a few drinks and at a few of these conferences. But have you got kind of a, an insight of where you think things are going to go from your end? I think it, where, where we're heading is that people want information, they want it accessible, and they'll. It, it won't. It'll be platform agnostic. Uh, you, you will need to be able to get it from whatever you're using. Uh, you want it to be reliable, and you want it to be up to date. So I think for for manufacturers, it's about being as flexible as possible, and ultimately ensuring that the information you provide is is accurate and, and it's up to date. Uh, I think those are the the kind of critical things that that we have an obligation to deliver on. Um, and then from there, it's really about the user experience, right? So if if I'm on site as a facility manager and I I have a breakdown or I, I want to replace product, then I need need ways to conveniently access that uh, information and, and maybe get to the point where, uh, and I think this is a little bit into the future, but maybe from the door and in, in the case of openings for Astroboy, you could from our mobile app, you could say, I, I've got a, uh, a problem with this opening and I, I need, need some service, uh, maybe even order replacement product. Yeah, well, that's the whole concept of having, you know, QR codes on a lot of different things or RFID sensors. So, Callum, what's what's your views on the future? Absolutely, moving down a, a, a more user friendly situation where, and and, and and you know, these are these are things that we're um, we're working on. Our R and D teams are, are feverishly focused on on finding ease of use products. Um, for the consumer, ease of use products for the um, construction companies in terms of the installation methodology, and 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 provide solutions that will give security to people and and deliver you know product that um, is is um, easy to use, um, not complicated but effective in its security. Uh, solution. So, yeah, I, the digital platforms, the, the, the telephone, um, you know, your mobile apps, et cetera, et cetera, you know, controlling your house um, from your iPad, unlocking doors, locking doors, et cetera. I think that's what people want and, and I, I think that's where we're headed. Now, one thing that I might have, can't remember, we've had conversations around this before, but one of the things that I think is the biggest challenge for construction sites and this is on tight programs and it's more suited to the smaller projects rather than the monster ones is uh, lead times and and the challenges that we face where we have a project that might only have a a, uh, a construction time frame of four to six weeks and you know documentation's always being done up to the last moment but imagine a world and this is where a platform like opening studio would work quite nicely is whereby the second that the, the designer essentially makes that design decision and plugs in that that hardware is required or that door is required for that project, that that would then set the, you know, that would then kind of forward plan your manufacturing process. Now, we're all well aware of the world of substitutions and how much that kind of throws spanners in the works there. Uh, or if a project got designed and didn't get constructed. But it'd be interesting to see whether or not there was a gate system whereby, and this might be facilitated through blockchain moving into the future, 
whereby the, as soon as the designers made that decision, those really long time frame products can start getting manufactured. You know, I look at you know Calamus is going away from doors and door hardware, but but it might work well with the automatic doors in the sense, but because it worked probably better with glass doors and windows and the like, but whereby the model that the architect creates in their project essentially is the shop drawing because they've modelled it accurately in their model. That is the basis of what your team just added a few additional pieces of information to to enable cutting to occur and, and assembly, whereas at the moment it's completely isolated in its approach. So from my mind it's about those two kind of key things about lead times and, and knowing that, you know, you may need – or if a major project comes on like Queen's Wharf uh, and – and you know that you don't have that many you don't have that many locks available. It's completely unique for you guys. And you go, well, okay, today we have to, you know, forward plan for the next three months that we're going to need to triple production on this specific lock set. Those type of things are where I think it could be great gains. But then, as both of you have raised about the ability for the data to be accessible whilst it's in operation, so that you can perform those tasks where you need to get maintenance you need to or you just need to know where it is so you can order a replacement it's like how as simple as it is you look into a light fitting and they have a sticker normally in there to say what's what code the lamp is i think that to me is is such a simple thing but sometimes gets lost and forgotten but has that opened up any more thoughts on the future for you guys (laughs) Um, As I said, we could talk forever. (laughs) Anything, anything that can help us forecast would be gratefully appreciated. You know, forecasting is an area that we spend a lot of time on uh, in order to provide the services that we're we're aiming at and meet our targets uh, and and, and keep the customers satisfied. But, you know, the best forecasts uh, come from the best information. And uh, unless the information that we're getting through is is um, accurate or um, complete? Or is <laughs> sorry, is complete. Yeah. Um, then you know that, that that makes it difficult. And of course, as you mentioned, the danger of DNC coming in uh, to to to, to uh, upset that um, situation there with with um, changes is always a risk. And so, we would love to to work with industry. Um, to you know, develop something that would help us with our forecasting and help them with the delivery um, of product to their construction site. Yeah, I know. There's just so many opportunities there. And it makes it hard because you have so many different people doing things in different ways. So you wouldn't be able to pick up all the design and stuff if it's a design construct contract. And <laughs> the timeframes in which you're going to get that information would be, you know, in the in the early you know, early days and a, and a long lead time to the future for the, from the designer specified perspective, and then when it's contractor or subcontractor led, it's last minute. They go straight down to their local hardware, you know, supplier like John Barnes or whatever, and 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 basically here's here's the set. This is I need all of this supplied. So it'd be very challenging for you guys on that front. But Callum and Paul, thank you very much for your time. Now, I have one final question. This is the one that I ask all of my guests. And, Callum, I'll get you to go first. What does BIM mean to you? Nathan, I, I see BIM uh, as a um, the, the management and the new order of information, um, you know, across, you know, many, many levels. Um, 
providing control management, improving efficiencies right throughout the life cycle of the project. And, and it, it will continue to, to make you know, the specification and the scheduling of doors better. Better. I like it. It's going to make it better. Now, well, we can start to make everything better. It would be great. Good as good as good as better. But um, now, Paul, what does BIM mean to you? If I could sum up BIM in one word, I would say BIM means collaboration. Um, it, it's collaboration from from the architects to the to the specifiers to the to the builders to the owners, uh, and and I guess to touch on Callum's point, it's collaboration through the life cycle of of the building. So it, it's something that lives and breathes as the as the building uh, goes through its life. That. That's uh, how I, I guess I would sum up BIM today. Probably different to how I said BIM 10 years ago, to be honest. No, well, I, the one thing I really like doing is looking back on this on an annual basis to see how the maturity of market changes. And mm. and my views, my views 10 years ago were completely different to what they are today in terms of how we do handle things. And it's only because you start to learn a little bit more each day about how it works. But the takeaway for today is collaborate better. I like that. You boys together, collaborate better. Now, uh, thank you very much for your time today, Callum and Paul. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us. We've made it around this thunderstorm. Despite a power loss partway through, we've done well. But for more information on Callum, Paul and Asa Abloy, please head over to the podcast section on the SKUD website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a, with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. The Digital Transition 